Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, and welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Lattermilk, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is Robert Lamb, science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, this week we are talking about time travel. Yes, in two parts. Right. We're going to tackle traveling into the past, but first, in this podcast, we're going to tackle traveling into the future, which is a uh, pretty common uh, element in science fiction, television shows, music, etc. Have you ever wanted to travel into the future? Well... Aside from the very slow pace at which we're traveling into the uh, future right now? Yeah, I was going to actually mention that. Uh, No, don't really want to travel into the future. You wouldn't want to meet your future self. You're not curious about Robert Lamb and no, because every all sorts of horrible things happen when you meet your future self. You know, like you've seen Time Cop, right? No, you haven't seen. Time Cop. <laughs> but like, like two. Is like, that with Jean Claude Van Damme? Yeah, this one with Jean Claude Van Damme, and like the the bad spoiler alert. But the bad guy uh, ends up meeting himself in the future, and they uh-huh. like scheme for a while, but then they get kicked into each other, and they like melt and stuff. So you know, it just doesn't look pleasant. Plus. Most of the time, traveling into the future ends up going to some horrible place with, you know, robots and dystopian, you know, system of government and, you know, the apocalypse and all. Plus, you have uh, more of a Zen outlook, if I'm reading that correctly, where you like to sort of just exist more in the present. Is that true? Um, no, I, I like, well, I like that idea, you know. Ob- obviously, I'm no Zen master. So, um, um, Robert Lamb, science writer and Zen master. No, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, traveling into the future, I guess, would be kind of cool. If you could just, it's just so many problems come with it, which we'll get into here. But, uh, but yeah, at, at, at the very basics, though, um, you know, we are all traveling into the future. That's what's happening. Like, just then, I just traveled into the future a little bit. So did you. So it's did hard not to get stuck on it. Yeah. The passage of time. Yeah, like if, when you get get down to it, you know, it's like, the present that we exist, that we don't really experience. We only think about the passing moment. And then, you know, and then, you know, that's and then that one little moment. That's where we spend all this time thinking about the future, remembering the past. As it happens, though, we can sort of control the speed at which we uh, travel into the future, or at least the speed uh, that we uh, experience it at. Um, thanks to a little something called relativity. Um Einstein has a pretty famous quote on this. Which, which I love this quote. Yeah. This is a great quote. He says, quote, put your hand on a hot stove for a minute, and it seems like an hour. Sit with a pretty girl for an hour, and it seems like a minute. That's relativity. Indeed. Yeah. Now, I think I would argue with Einstein that it depends on the pretty girl, um, because what if she's talking about something really boring? <laughs> you know? Um, and it also br- brings to mind, like, if there was, you know, if you really don't take this too literally, because you could not say build a time machine by just like filling it with beautiful women, you know, and having them like talk at you. Likewise, you couldn't live forever by constantly burning yourself. But um, but uh, there are some other things that actually do have major effects on the passage of time. OK. Uh, yeah. One of the big ones, of course, uh, quite literally, is mass. Like the physical mass of something. Right. Mass alters time. Right. Yeah. And, and this one, this one's one that really, really kind of blows my mind a little. Um, like, uh, global positioning, uh, satellites. Mm-hmm. They gain about like a third of a billionth of a second every day. Uh, and that's, uh, one, one of the contributing reasons here is that they're 
farther away from the Earth, from, the, from its center of mass, which drags on time and slows it down. So, uh, um, and then there was a, I think it was Stephen Hawking makes a great analogy with, uh, or a great you know, comparison with uh, like a, a pyramid, like large, you know, like one of the great pyramids, large center of mass. Mm-hmm. And if you're standing next to that, um, time is going to happen slower for you than it would if you're standing like out in the, uh, you know, in the waste. Uh, it would, you know, not, not in a sense that you could actually detect or experience, but, uh, but it would be there. So to actually travel into the future with it, with any, you know, in any kind of meaningful way, you would need like an enormous amount of mass though, like a black hole, like a black hole. Yeah. It's like you could go and do laps around it essentially. Right. Right. A supermassive black hole perhaps. Yeah. Like, uh, there's probably one kicking around the center of our, uh, galaxy. Yeah, so what would happen if you circled the black hole for a couple of years without falling in? That's a key part. You'd return to uh, an Earth where an entire decade had passed. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, you would you would experience, like a year, they would experience a decade. You would have aged a decade. They would have aged a century. So it seems kind of like, it's, it's even like explaining it and having read the explanations for it, it still kind of sounds like magic. But it's just, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's physics at work. Um, now, and, and, and of course, another interesting one is, uh, the way speed alters time. And this is called time dilation. Yeah. This one's pretty snazzy. Has yet to work its way into a, like a, a major movie plot. Um, I was talking to a friend about this. We we're like, man, they never work time dilation into, uh, into a thriller, you know, because it's such this thing. It's like such a slight change, but this is one that we can actually measure, um, all right, so time passes slower the closer you approach the speed of light. So if you had two identical clocks, you leave one at the station, you put one on a speeding train. Right. The uh then the one then the at the end of that train trip, the one that remained at the station would be just like a billionth of a second uh ahead of the one that was on the train. Right. Okay? Now that's not a lot. Uh, you know, even if you spent your whole life on, it's, you not know, even, it's not even enough to blink. Yeah. Yeah. Like you couldn't get like really paranoid and be like, that's it. I'm going to live on a speeding a bullet train the rest of my life and I'm going to live forever. It's not going to happen. Uh, you'd, you'd have to, if the train could maybe attain like 99.999% speed, light speed, which is like ridiculous, uh, speed, you know, in, impossible, you know, certainly with any foreseeable technology that we have right now. Except Only, perhaps in particle accelerators. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. And that's really not commercially available. It's hard to fit in se. one of those. Yeah, I don't have a particle accelerator in my backyard. Do you? No. Mm-hmm. But at that speed, one year would pass on board um, your accelerated train for every 223 years that passed uh, back at the train station. That's so, pretty insane. So yeah, you could essentially, like, in a year's time, you get on board your time machine. And then uh, travel for a year, and then uh, you would essentially travel 223 years into the future. So that's uh, that's pretty fascinating. And yeah, there's actually uh, you know some some more evidence for this uh, in some of our ob- observations we've made with uh, particle accelerators. Sure, over at CERN they've been checking into this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they have these extremely short-lived particles called pi mesons, okay. and ordinarily they disintegrate after just. Uh, 25 billionths of a second. Yeah. But you accelerate them near light speed and they last 30 times longer. Wow, that's practically a... Practically nothing still, true. <laughs> but still, it, it 
it shows that I mean it, it's proof positive that that it's that this can be done. Whether it can ever be done in a way that actually allows human time travel, uh, you know, we'll see. Okay, so we get on a really fast train, and that's one way we could travel into the mm-hmm. future. And by really fast, of course, we mean something approaching the speed of light, which mm-hmm. is not really on the table now. So what about um, another possibility like wormholes, which we are also going to get into in the uh, Traveling Back in Time podcast? Yeah, there's um, yes, uh, some uh, physicists uh, yeah, believe that in the, the, qu- the quantum foam, which is this tiny, tiny uh, environment, smallest environment in the universe, there are just constantly wormholes popping into existence. Uh, linking one portion of space-time with another portion of space-time. And that conceivably, we could sort of grab onto one of these holes before it disappears, enlarge it enough to fly, say, a spaceship through it. And then, voila, we'd come out somewhere, somewhere else, right? Right, at another event in space-time. Yeah, and of course that brings a number of problems with it. You know, like how how do you choose which little tiny momentary hole in space-time to expand, and then how do you crawl through it? And How do you expand it in the first place? Yeah, and uh, yeah, and how do you not end up in some, like, horrible, like, hell world, you know, just like in the movies? That's what happens in the movies, is all I'm saying, so watch out. So, yes, time travel in the future is possible. To a limited extent, we're doing it right now. If you if you hop on a train, or if you're listening to this on, uh, on an airplane or in the car, you are experiencing it as well. Perhaps that's not the answer you were looking for. Yeah. Perhaps you were looking to jet a century ahead or a few millennia ahead, and that's not really the case quite yet. Right. Do not go stand next to a pyramid and and blame us. Of course, if you really love pyramids, then time might speed up, just like Einstein sitting with his pretty girl. So on that note, uh, do we have any uh, listener mail to get into? I think we have a few letters uh, sitting around here, don't we? We do. We do. Do you want to read them this week? Uh, sure. What do we got? All right. This one comes from uh, Calum, age 14. Hi, Allison and Robert. I'm a new listener, but downloaded some of your back episodes, of which I really like. I'd like to bring up the episode Amazing Infestations. You remember that one? I do. That was a fun one. Yeah. This isn't a complaint. I really like your podcast and all of the How Stuff Works podcasts. Admittedly, rats are classed as vermin. But they also make amazing pets. They're cute and as almost intelligent as dogs. They can swim half a mile without stopping and tread water for three hours. I've never tried this out. I have three (laughs) rats, Smudge, Blizzard, and Cleopatra, Cleo for short, and have included photos so that you can see the rat that rats are cute and not all vermin. Cleo is my favorite. Yeah, Cleo's pretty cute. They're all cute, like all like white rats, you know. Uh, sorry for th- that the photos are blurry, but the rats are fast runners. Thank you for reading this email from, and then he signs it. So, uh, so yeah, and they, yeah, he included photos of all the, uh, the rats and, uh, they were, they were cute. And, uh, and certainly that's something worth mentioning is that even though, you know, pretty much with any of these species that, that become a problem, a, a lot of it can be traced back to, to humans, uh, uh, causing some imbalance in the, uh, in the environment, you know? Uh, like at, at the very heart of things, like you have like a, a dense met- uh, metropolitan area, sure, like a medieval city where everything's dirty and wretched, and there's food available, and you have rat, you know, an explosion of rats uh, living in the area. But it, you can't blame the rats; they're just you know responding to the environment that humans have artificially created. Well, then also you think about those Christmas crabs that were overrunning Easter Island. Do you remember those mm-hmm. that we talked about those? And 
that infestation is a natural thing. It's short-lived. It happens. And admittedly, it's probably a little unsettling for your house to be overrun by Christmas crabs, but mm-hmm. it doesn't happen for a long time. Yeah, and there's actually some, uh, uh, I remember reading some, st- some stuff about the Christmas crabs claiming that, that, that it happened because of, uh, you know, some particular species ended up being eliminated, uh, due to, you know, some other species being introduced on the island. And then there's another invasive species that's, uh, that's like hurting the crabs now. It's, you know. Hurting the crabs or hurting well, the crabs? Well, like, a, not, like a, like an Australian Hurting? No. Uh, I like the idea of the hurting. That would be that would be amusing. It'd be like the uh, there was an old lady who's followed a fly. You know, Christmas crabs are out of hand, so they bring on the wolves to herd them around, and then they have herds of wolves. But anyway, cute rats. Yeah, what I'm trying and to we say. always like hearing from listeners. So thanks for writing, Caleb, and we hope you said your name right. So, and uh, everyone out there, be sure and check out our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Sure, we're on Stuff from the Science Lab and Lab Stuff over at Twitter. Yeah, and you can you can do a search on, we'll show up as Lab Stuff on either one. And if you guys want to send us an email, we always like hearing from you. We're at sciencestuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. <laughs>